0: welcome to the nine finger chronicles podcast brought to you by exodus trail cameras the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation and now here's your nine fingered host dan johnson oh yeah happy hump day everybody and welcome back to the podcast i tell you what I have wanted to get a professional archer on this podcast for quite a long time, and it has all come to fruition today. Uh, we are going to be talking with a professional archer. His name is Aaron Tedford, and Aaron is going to talk about uh, a little bit about the life of a professional archer, and then we're going to get into some details as far as setting up your bow. Um, some do's and don'ts. What to look for for maybe inconsistencies as far as your, you know, if you're having problems tuning your bow. What to look for. Some do's and some don'ts. And uh, we're just gonna go ahead and get into a lot of detail. This is a long, longer than normal podcast, uh, so I'm gonna keep this intro somewhat short. So it's badass. All right. Lots of detail. This is what you guys want, so I'm gonna give it to you. Uh, I wanna get a lot more of these detailed uh, type scenarios, um, you know, these detailed guests, these detailed, I'm using the word detailed too much in this sentence, but details, details, that's what makes us better is to pay attention to those details. And it helps us become a better archer, which in turn uh, kind of makes us a better bow hunter, you know. Archery and bow hunting definitely go hand in hand, and that's the goal, right? We all want to become better. So Aaron's going to talk a little bit about all that stuff today. Now, another reason why I'm so pumped up right now is I have a sugar rush going from all the leftover Easter candy that's sitting around my house and the fact that I have two more days of work Wednesday and Thursday and then I'm heading down to my annual turkey camp and me the wife the stepdad and uh, maybe a couple other people I'm not 100% sure yet we're going to be going and trying to shoot a turkey I I really want to shoot one with a bow however I don't know if I'm going to necessarily have a lot of time I have a 3-day window and although I would love to do it I, I'll be honest, I haven't been practicing with my bow recently, so that's one kind of hindrance, and uh, I just love doing it with my wife and stepdad and, and uh, calling for them. It's not necessarily to me. I've, I've killed what seems like hundreds of turkeys over the years, and I just I enjoy now taking other people out turkey hunting. If the opportunity presents itself and I go and I kill, I'm going to do that. But uh, my main focus is getting my wife one, maybe calling for my stepdad. And then, if, uh, like I said, if there's time, I'll shoot one in the face. With all that craziness said, the intro's out of the way. We do have to um, hear real quick from Keith Dvorznak from Ripcord Arrowrests Rests about the durability of their rests.
1: Durability in our Ripcord Arrow Rests is... The launcher and the containment arms made out of a Delron plastic, which is really strong plastic. Uh the reason we use the plastic, a lot of people want to know why you won't use metal and stuff, it's plastic's a lot quieter, um, it's a lot lighter, but using Delron it is durable. Um we use sixty sixty-five aluminum in our ref. and there's all stainless steel parts inside the guts. Um there's also brass catch in there. There's no plastic parts inside our rest. It's all built, and it's built strong. Um, The durability on them are unbelievable, but things do happen, and we take care of that.
0: All right. If you guys want to find out more information about Ripcord, please visit their website, com, uh, and learn about their variety of sites that they offer, and uh, all the functionality of them they are my favorite site and they are badass so that that point alone is why you should buy one buy one but let's quit bullshitting and let's get into today's podcast with a professional archer Aaron Tedford all right on the phone with me right now is Aaron Tedford how you doing today Aaron Good Dan, how are you? I I can't complain. Um I'll be completely honest with this. Ever since I got a hold of you and uh got, you know, got this podcast scheduled, I I have been very excited uh for this podcast because in a way this podcast revolves around gear and gear nuts and um you are a professional archer and you deal with that stuff absolutely every day. So I'm, you know, I want to pick your brain about all that stuff. Um, but before we, we get into all that, where do you, where do you live? And, um, is being a professional archer, your full-time job, or do you have a side gig as well?
1: Yeah, I live in, uh, I live in great falls, Montana. So it's, uh, basically central Montana. And, uh, yeah, shoot right now, shooting, traveling and, and, going to all the tournaments and archery shows uh, with the company I work for is kind of my is my full-time job yep
2: okay
0: what what company do you work for
1: uh gearhead archery oh they're out of uh, prairie they're out of prairie du Sac, wisconsin
0: they're a partner of this podcast now I knew you shot their bows in tournament but I didn't skip didn't tell me that you actually worked for the company
1: uh yeah yep they're uh they're my main sponsor um and basically uh i'm doing all the the traveling and uh shooting the tournaments uh for them so oh gotcha
0: okay cool yeah
1: cool so uh
0: before you took the jump into becoming a professional archer what was your day job
1: oh i i um uh, i owned a, uh, a small scrapyard for quite a while. I uh, did a lot of recycling, uh, things like that, um, and then my dad owns a uh, business too, and I helped him out a lot. But uh, basically, most of my life I've worked for myself. So gotcha. Okay. Um, but I've always I've always shot a lot of archery tournaments. Um, I've been shooting since 2000, so basically 17 years, and uh, I've, I always went to a lot of archery tournaments. Obviously, not nearly as many as I'm doing this year and next year. But uh, it's always been something that if I wasn't working, I was shooting and, and trying to travel as much as I could. So, gotcha. So,
0: you know, when did, how long ago did you pick up a bow? I mean, was this something that you have been doing since you were a kid?
1: Yeah. Um, so basically it's kind of a funny story. My brother and I, we were, uh, we were pretty young I think we we're like 12 and 11 and 12 or 12 and 13, something like that. He's only one year older than me. Um, it was the summer of 2000, and my mom basically was just like, "Yeah, hey, you you know, you guys need like to get into a, a good hobby this summer or something, <laughs> something you can do all summer." So she's like, "You know, we can go out and shoot. You can go and shoot 22s on a league, or I'll buy you guys 22s, and you can go do that, like target shooting and stuff, or um, or you can try archery." And we're like, "Oh, let's try archery. My, you know, that sounds fun." So we went and I bought a Martin. XT200. It was a wooden recurve, and my brother bought a Hoyt Rebel, this little compound bow. Anyways, that's how we started. And we all started with like shooting every day and just kind of for fun. And then we started shooting leagues, and then uh, started to shooting state shoots and local shoots, and then it kind of just grew from there. But we started shooting national shoots, I think, in like 03, 04. So we okay. kind of jumped right into it, um, and yeah, now we're now we're here.
0: So, how old were you? That like, how old are you now? Just for a reference. I'm 29. Okay, you're 29. Sorry, sorry.
1: I'm t- I'm 20. I'm 28. <laughs> yeah, no, I just had I just had a birthday, and I, I, I swear sometimes I don't remember
0: my own age. <laughs> oh, it just gets worse, buddy. Let me tell you. Um, yeah. <laughs> especially like for me, when I start calling my kids the wrong names, that tells oh, you yeah. you're losing it.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so, I've been called the wrong name plenty of times. I, I have six <laughs>
0: siblings, so. Oh, boy. They run, yeah. when you get in trouble, they run through the list of names until you finally pop, your head pops up, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- and that brings me that. to to a question then, you know, when a mom says, when a mom says, all right, well, we got to find you something to do. Is yeah. this because you were getting in trouble a lot?
1: Yeah, not in trouble, but, you know, <laughs> probably just pain a big pain, you know, just, like we would always go to work with my dad's got a, he had a big military surplus yard of equipment and we'd always go to work with him in the summertime. And there was always something to do. Like we always liked to make money. So we were always like, uh, spraying weeds and keeping, keeping the road nice, like spreading gravel and, Right. filling in potholes, like we would do that all summer. But but any, we we were probably a, a lot to handle, like every day, all day. So my mom, yeah, she did want us to get into
2: a, a hobby,
1: probably not because we were getting in trouble, but, you know, for reasons close to that. Right, right.
0: Because <laughs> well, you're not bothering her if you're practicing archery. <laughs>
1: yeah, we're bothering, we're bothering the guys at the archery
2: shop. That's
1: right.
0: <laughs> so how old were you when – you when that all went down when you when you picked up your bow and started shooting
1: uh 12 12
0: okay so at that point was it all about archery or were you bow hunting as well
1: uh yeah no it was all about archery i wasn't bow hunting uh until i started bow hunting when I was 14 okay um so i a few of the guys at the archery shop they took me like deer hunting and we went and scouted deer and stuff. It was fun. And anyways I shot my first deer and I was fourteen. But honestly, I guess I probably started hunting when I was thirteen. I don't think I harvested any anything when I was my first year of hunting. But um but so yeah, it didn't ever start out with any intention to hunt or anything. It was just all kind of for a hobby of shooting targets and things like that. So but now I do now like I, I love hunting more than anything and I do a, a ton of hunting now. So Right. Okay, so
0: you, you know, when you were 12, you're 13, you started getting into archery, you know, just for something to do. When did you take that jump into, uh, all right, well, I really enjoy this, so now I'm going to start taking it more serious, you know? You you know, you start doing, because for me, I love bow hunting, right? But I'm not passionate as probably i should be about archery like i can't take my bow apart and put it back together you know so there's yeah there's a huge there's a huge line between um a lot of the guys who are bow hunt and then are archery nuts at the same time you know what i mean
1: yeah and you know there's there's nothing wrong with you know not not being able to do a lot of that like i i ha- i actually get a lot of help where i'm at um as far as working on bows um there's there's a few guys here in my hometown that i always uh, look to the for technical questions and stuff, and and they they always give me a hard time. They're like, you know, you're a professional archer, you shoot for a living, blah, blah blah blah. Why why can't you work on your own stuff? My right. my only excuse is always like, you know, Jeff Gordon does not mechanic on his own car. <laughs> so I figured, leave it to those guys; they're good at it. The pro shop guys or whoever, they're really good at all that stuff. They do it every day. And it, but no, I do know how to work on a lot of stuff. But that is kind of an ongoing joke. I. Out of all the professional archers out there, I I probably work on my stuff the least. But it is really a good idea to know a few a few things. Um, but and then as far as I when I started when I really thought you know shooting a lot and and possibly trying to become a professional archer and stuff that kind of came to uh, I don't know probably came to around like oh five oh six I. Started shooting. I mean, I would won a few national championships when I was young, like as a, as a kid and stuff.
2: And even as a
1: kid, I competed in the adult class and won a few national stuff in the amateur division, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, you know, I we shot all the state stuff and the regional stuff, and I, we really liked it and liked traveling. But in 06, I started shooting Olympic-style recurve. Okay. And uh, with kind of the intentions to try out for the Olympics and stuff. And I I made some world teams and I took a bronze medal in Denmark and it was Oh six, like right when I started. And then in Oh eight, I took another bronze medal when I I made the world team and went to Izmir, Turkey. Okay. And I kind of, after that, I kind of knew that I was really probably going to shoot a lot and, kind of make a career out of it whether i started working for a company or just shooting for a living things like that so i would gotcha. stay around like 06 i like kind of 07 so is all that
0: then considered amateur
1: yeah pretty, yeah yep
0: okay all right so yeah. so you you really when did you, when did you then turn pro
1: oh about oh let's see oh. Four years ago, I started shooting, like, the professional divisions and stuff at archery tournaments five years ago, probably.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right, Um, so...
1: Oh, and then, yeah. So, and then, yeah, I I want to see my first professional tournament was... Yeah, probably five, six years ago, so...
0: Okay. So then, you know, you were shooting amateur for all those years, and then you started shooting pro. Now, does the competition change... When you in, in archery, when you make a jump from amateur to pro,
1: yeah, big time. Uh, as far as uh, score wise and stuff, it, it it it's kind of funny. Like if you if you want to if you want to win amateur divisions, um, you still got to shoot like perfect scores at these tournaments. That that professional shoot they shoot perfect scores, but the amateurs shoot perfect scores too. But the the difference between the amateur class and the professional class are there's only maybe one or two amateurs that do it in a professional class you'll go to a tournament shoot lights out shoot a perfect score and you'll be tied for first place at the end of it with 15 other guys oh, okay. so yeah so a lot of the time the same scores are shot um just a whole lot more in the professional division i guess,
2: gotcha. so, and then
1: obviously um and then outside and stuff it's yeah that, the professional division is so stacked with so many good shooters and they all basically have, they're all have a lot of drive. They all do it for a living. And, uh, all the guys are really great. Um, you know, there's no, like, uh, it's not like overly serious or anything and stuff like that, but it's definitely way more competitive, um, guys that are doing it for a living, like providing for their families. I mean, so it it gets pretty competitive.
0: So I got a question for you when someone ties, you know, you got 15 guys tied for first place. How do they split that money up?
1: Well, so like I was in Cincinnati at, uh, NFA indoor nationals. Okay. Uh, last month. And I, we both, we it's a two day tournament and it's one of the biggest, it's the second biggest indoor archery tournament in the world. There's, 20, I don't know, over 2000 people there. Um, so, uh, it's a two day score and 360 X is possible for one day. So at the end of the, at the end of the tournament, there was 16 people that tied with 600 and 120 X's. Um, and I was one of them. And what they do is they, they, basically they have like a sudden death elimination.
2: Okay. They,
1: they, sh- they shrink the scoring rings. Basically, um, they make it a lot harder to, to shoot, uh, the target basically and get the, a perfect score. So they, they line y'all up and they shoot until there's one guy standing. And, um, I ended up, there was a 12 or yeah, 12 or 13 guys that were eliminated before me. And then there was three of us left. So I, anyways, I ended up third place and then, uh, so yeah, and then it went one more end, and then there was a a winner. So, but yeah, it's basically they don't they there's never a tie for first place. There is ties, but they always break them with uh like okay. elimination style shoot offs. Yep. Gotcha.
0: So it all it goes to
1: uh,
0: uh sudden death then.
1: Yeah. Yep. Okay. They, cool. They just keep eliminating guys until there's a winner.
0: Cool. So, you know, everybody knows who who Levi Morgan is, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: So I got off the phone with uh, Skip from Gearhead a while back, and he told me that you beat him recently. Was uh, this month or last month? Is that right? <laughs> yeah,
1: that was, that was in Cincinnati. That's so funny. my question, <laughs> my question is,
0: are you going to start making um, his kind of money? No, <laughs> no, I don't
1: think so. Like Levi, he's on a uh, he's he's that guy. He's he's such a good shot. I mean. Right. Um, And he's got his bow hunting show and uh, he's just like his 3D, you know, he's the greatest like 3D shooter to basically ever, ever shoot 3D archery. Um, So, but, and he's, you know, he's been, he worked really hard to get where he's at. And, you know, so he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's worth a lot of money. He's earned every, he's earned every bit of it. (laughs) But you beat him, right? You need to go to,
0: (laughs) you need to go to skip. And just say hey it's time to start writing bigger checks
1: <laughs> yeah chip and those guys those guys are hilarious they always they always, they always use Levi because he's the most popular archer out there they always use Levi as an example and never and you can if I could ever beat Levi' they <laughs> they go crazy with it
0: <laughs> that's awesome so you know you, you've been on this professional circuit now for um for a while and what's i mean what's it like i mean I right first off that transition from amateur to pro i'll talk about that very first meet um did you feel any pressure because i have a feeling that of all the sports that there are out there you know like if you if it's down to you know one yard line and you hand off the football to a guy the running back uh he can be nervous and still perform right if anything it may even make him run faster but for an archer if you're nervous it could throw your shot off big time how did how did you learn how to deal with that
1: yeah so basically uh, one thing first there's basically there's a there's a class in between being a true professional archer, and that's like an, an amateur professional. So there's there's amateurs that can move up to the professional class, pay their uh, the expensive entry fee and stuff, and shoot professionally, but basically never uh, you know never earned any money. Um, don't they don't work for anybody, things like that. So a lot of people can do that, and that's what I did for a couple years. You know, I was shooting professional classes, wasn't earning any money, so. I technically, I would never, I would have never considered myself a professional archer. You know what I mean? But now that I'm actually getting paid, shooting for a living, um, uh, podium and making the podium at some of these tournaments and stuff, then I can now consider like, I'm, I'm actually living the life of a professional archer. You know what I I mean? I gotcha. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of extra pressure added. Um, I like pressure. Um, like you said, I, I tend to perform better under pressure um, but I mean I you know there is those tournaments you go to and you just crumble and you know it's a lot because of the pressure too so at any given time I mean I could shoot well because of the pressure or you know sometimes it really gets to you and it, and it affects your shooting so I haven't had any really bad showing that well I did have one bad showing this year that uh, <laughs> it was a big, really big indoor tournament, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Yep. And the one of the the prize was thirty thousand dollars if I shot well. And uh, anyways, I I shot horrible. I shot one day, didn't even make the cut to shoot the next day. It was it was a nightmare, and I would say it was all because the pressure, and it wasn't because of the money, but it was just one of those tournaments. When I got there, it just kind of ate me alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then when I was in Cincinnati, and 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 podiums, I, uh, I, I really like fed off the pressure. I liked it, you know. And one thing I try and tell myself, and anybody can kind of use this, whether they're shooting, I used to get nervous at leaks, you know, whether they're shooting at leaks or about to shoot an elk or a deer or a turkey or whatever. When you feel pressure and your heart's racing and basically, and you, you have an adrenaline rush, you know, if you look back at every time you usually get that, good things happen, you know what I mean? Right. You're, 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 you're there's a lot of pressure and you feel lightheaded, and there's a little drilling rush when you get married, when you have kids, when you're in high school doing certain things, and, and or you're about to shoot a deer and elk. I mean, a lot of times good things happen when you have those feelings. And if you remember that and you tell yourself that and just kind of embrace the pressure, embrace the the, uh, the higher heart rate, things like that, and just kind of enjoy it, and I'm usually you'll perform a little better. So.
0: So, and so you can kind of translate that into a bow hunting scenario because you're a bow hunter now, but how, how, how do you, how do you treat that? I mean, is there, are there ways specifically not only through whether it's a breathing technique or practice or routine or, um, you know, just continuing to shoot shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. I mean, are, are there ways to treat or beat that kind of pressure, or, or as some would call it, buck buck fever?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I'm way like for an example, like shooting like the biggest tournaments in the world versus shooting an elk. I'm way more nervous shooting an elk, and honestly, I have no idea how to calm the nerves when you like a bull bugling in your face and you're at full draw and you're you're about to shoot them. I, 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 if you can figure that out, you let me know because that'd be great. Because <laughs> <laughs> I miss elk every year. and miss deer. I mean, we're talking like I can shoot out to 100 yards at targets really accurately. That would be perfect kill shots 99% of the time. Um, but when you're out in the woods, it's just such a different game with the elk. They, they For me, and I know I'm worse than a lot of people, um, but I really get worked up with with, with buck fever basically yeah uh elk hunting and stuff and that's obviously why we do it but uh i i yeah i don't know i don't have any a good answer for the the elk hunting but as far as when it comes to tournament nerves and stuff like that and you can I and mean, you could use them for elk hunting and deer buck fever and stuff but you know basically not the breathing got to remember to breathe and that's a lot that's something that a lot of people forget to do when they're nervous Breathe. You got to breathe. Take big breaths. Things like that, um, and and realize, you know, in tournaments, you, you can never win the tournament the first day. So why be nervous the first day? Um, just kind of things like that. But I, just basically working through it. And I've learned how to shoot basically with nerves, and it, it's never, you know, I, you'll never get rid of the nerves. And I've just kind of learned to shoot with them, not try and get rid of them, because that's a battle you'll never win. Okay. getting rid of nerves is kind of impossible um they'll always be there they'll get they'll get better as the, you know as you as you get older and stuff and more experienced but but yeah as far as deer and elk I, boy i don't know when i I, I, <laughs> I i'm i'm the worst when it comes down I mean, I, the worst shot i've ever made on an elk was at 16 yards. should have shot him right in the heart but I don't even know if I was looking through my peep when my bow went off. I drew back and he was walking, bugling, and stepped out in front of a tree sixteen yards in front of me and I my pins hit fur and I pulled the trigger. Shot him high in the lungs. It wasn't even that great of a shot and <laughs> so anyways, yeah. My uh, my nerves are kinda off the charts when when I'm shooting elk and deer.
0: Even if it I mean, have you had have you had a scenario where your uh you know you're on the line for about 30 grand or whatever the the payout is for you know first place and you know for me i i don't know i've been around big bucks before and i do get you know a little buck fever but when it comes to like a big paycheck like some of these archery tournaments are paying out um i almost feel like i would be more nervous at that
1: yeah yeah well, and that's, that's a good question. You know, like those, those, those checks are huge and they, they, they help us out a lot. And, and well, you know, let's be honest. I mean, thirty fifty thousand $50,000, that'd be sweet. You know, that's a right. nice, that's a nice weekend <laughs> to bring home that kind of money. But when you get to that level, as far as shooting um, against the best in the world and stuff, you've worked so hard to protect your game right. and get that good. Um, nobody's, I, I don't, uh, yes everybody's up there getting paid and is basically there to try and win that check but um i think most of these guys including myself would still be there if it was a belt buckle or a trophy you know what i mean gotcha um because the money is is important it's nice to it's nice to win and stuff but uh most of us i think uh, want to be up there because we want to prove how good we are we want to be the best you know what i mean Um, and the last thing you want to be thinking about is money and stuff but obviously when the dust settles the tournament's over yeah the first thing you look at is how much money you made what place you took things like that how far they pay down um so it is they do go hand in hand but i would say when it when it when everybody's watching and you're about to shoot your last arrows and you're close to winning it comes down to like you're there to win not not think about the money like you're there to try to prove yourself that you you can be the best, you know, right. So. Right.
0: So quick question, you know, you said you struggled at a, at a tournament a while ago. How did you rebound from that?
1: Oh boy. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, I've shot seven, I've been to 17 events so far this year and I got about, uh, six left, six or seven left. Um, so it was one thing I knew, like, okay, I got, I, I I had shot really well before some of those, before that event. Um, and I, so I just kind of knew that, you know, there's, I know this, like, you know, in, and I kind of in anything, you're going to have your your ups and downs. And I was hoping to myself that that was the lowest I was going to get this year.
2: <laughs>
1: and that, it was like, you know, I had, I haven't shot that bad all year. Um, except for that tournament so I, I just kind of knew that you know you're gonna have to, you got to take the good with the bad and hopefully there's more good than bad and I kind of I kind of know there's more good than bad usually so and I I'm, I'm a really positive person I try to stay positive um so it's just kind of one of those things I I hardly even thought about it I had a tournament the next weekend and um didn't win it or nothing but I went and shot pretty good and so I was I was totally happy with I basically it was what the minute it was over it was over and I I went home and kind of figured out what went wrong and um admitted to myself that I maybe I cracked under some pressure and fixed a few things and yeah but I just kind of knew that I, there's more to there's more and I'll I'll go succeed at some other ones right so
0: you know for me I, I've always heard don't end And this is in regards to practice as well. Like when I'm in my backyard, right. And I'm I'm shooting at my, my target and I've always heard, don't end on a bad arrow, always end on a good arrow. And then, you know, the guys who, you know, kind of taught me, um, archery and a lot of this stuff I've taught myself, but you know, even if it's a 10 yard shot and you're, you walk away feeling confident and you nailed that 10 yard shot, um, is that something that you know relating it to that last tournament where you you know poorly did did that change the way you practiced between that tournament and the next tournament
1: you know no that's a good that it didn't change anything um i that is a really that's a really good uh way to practice never end on a negative note and that goes hand in hand with like a lot of things Trying, trying to end your days on, on, you know, good things. You don't ever want to go to bed miserable or mad or things like that. You want to, so and that 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 is true with archery practice and stuff. And like a big thing, like I'll do is basically, I mean, you might shoot a score you're not happy with in practice, but you got to go, and you you can't just put up another target and take thirty more minutes to shoot another score. Um, so what what a guy can always do is end on just shooting your bow at like you said, at 10 yards or shooting at a blank bale with no target, just working on like your form, making like really perfect shots, not even worried about aiming. So, yeah, you can always, you can always end your practice uh, with good shots and like positive, positive shots. Um, one thing about practice that's so important is it's not, it's not quantity, it's quality. You don't want to just go out flinging arrows, thinking you're going to get better, just flinging as many as you can. You want to go practice with a purpose, have a lot of quality behind your practice. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean um, hours and hours a day. It just means, like, when you are there, you're 100% committed to practicing, no distractions, and you're working on a few different things and just good quality practice. But, yeah, ending your practice with, like, good shots um, is is really important. So, you know,
0: with that said, how much of archery is – mental?
1: Uh, A lot. Most of it. I mean, like in the professional division, um, everybody, I would say, you know, 75% of the guys in that class, in in our class shooting, are capable of winning any tournament that we're at, you know? So most of the guys are capable of winning the tournaments um, that are there. It's just a matter of kind of who can, uh, get through the pressure and have a really good weekend and not let have a good, uh, consistent weekend. You know, there's a lot of guys that go to tournaments shoot really good one day. Um, and then they fall off the next day because maybe they couldn't handle the pressure of being in the lead or uh, they couldn't handle the pressure of, um, yeah, like I said, being in first, being tied, things like that. But yeah, you just got to, gotta always remind yourself you can never win the tournament the first day. So the first day shoot, try not to get nervous. That's that's easier said than or yeah, it's easier said than done. But uh yeah, archery is, oh, boy, I would like, you know, 90% mental because like I said, I you can shoot practice scores all day long that will win every tournament you go to. But it's the fact of doing that at the tournament, that's when your head gets in the way. <laughs> so right right it's a lot of mental
0: so almost i i don't know why i want to make this uh, analogy but it's almost kind of like golf it's uh, you know like golf is one swing every time is would you would you make that comparison
1: oh absolutely archery is one arrow you're shooting a one arrow tournament every time you draw your bow right okay That's with everything, if you're going to shoot a deer or an elk or an animal or whatever, I mean, you got, you got one chance. Most of the time they don't give you two chances. You got one chance. You got a one arrow tournament that you got to shoot and it's got to be perfect.
0: Right. It makes a lot of sense. Now I want to talk about practice. Um, And I know, I don't know, does practice for the average hunter and practice for a competitive shooter look the same?
1: Uh, they can, um, they should, but no, they usually don't look the same, you know, um, practice is obviously so important. Uh, and like I talked about earlier, um, quality over quantity, but you gotta, you gotta mix those two though too. You gotta do a lot of, you gotta do a lot of quality practice. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: So So what does, what does,
1: you know, I'll go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, I was just going to say, what does your, 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 do you have a daily routine? Uh, And what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So basically like, uh, yesterday, like I'm not, I'm going to shoot today, but it's not going to be later to later today. But anyway, like yesterday, I, uh, it's outdoor season right now and indoor season ended last month. So we're still kind of, um, getting our outdoor setups kind of finely tuned and shooting good. So like I I brought, I woke up, ate breakfast, all that good stuff. And then um, I just drove out to the range and I have a Ford excursion and I have the back seat taken out of it and the the middle seat folded down. So like, it's like a mobile archery range. (laughs) I got my bows in there and like all these targets and um, some tools to work on my bows and stuff like that. I got a cooler, so, like, when I go to the range, I go there. I don't ever want to, have to like, forget anything, I have to leave. Um, and, I, I, and I go there to spend a lot of time there. So, like, I, I got there, set up two different bows um, and shot for four hours outside um, and was testing a couple different arrows. Um, it wasn't windy, too. So, like, when it's not windy, I shoot a lot just because it's kind of rare in Great Falls. It's always windy here. So yeah. when it's not windy, I shoot a lot just to get in good practice, you know, but, um, as far as like when I'm there at the range, like routine, like how often I shoot an arrow or, um, you know, it's, I don't, I don't take very many breaks I mean, I you know, I, I bring some food and some water and stuff and I'm like, I'll do that. But like, um, once I'm, once I'm there and like in the zone practicing, I don't, I don't like chat with a lot of people and, um, and I'm just there shooting. It's all shoot walk back, grab my bow, shoot, get my arrows, walk back, shoot. You know, like I, I get pretty focused. And, and if things are rolling good, too, you want to keep shooting because when things are going good, that builds muscle memory. So when you keep shooting when things are going good, you know, that builds good quality muscle memory. So when things are rolling really well, keep shooting. When things are going really badly, uh, just, uh, you know, maybe – don't you know? Maybe shoot some blank bail and maybe injure injure practice a little sooner than than later. Just because there's no reason to practice, that you're getting frustrated and things are going bad. I mean, it's just nice sometimes to put it down and know that you wake up tomorrow and it's a new day and you can do that. So,
0: right. So, you know, as far as practice is concerned, I want to talk about form a little bit. Um, does Good is is good quality form as important as you know having your equipment finely tuned as you know from an accuracy standpoint.
1: Yeah, it's 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 as important. As, it's as important, or even more important. Um, form, and you know, I'm not saying there's there's only one way to shoot a bow and I don't think anybody would ever really say that anybody who knew what they're talking about. Like there's only one way to shoot a bow and that's the way you have to shoot it. Everybody, you know, shoots a little different. Um, the most important part about form is comfort and repeatability. And as far as anybody can repeat form and practice, but like sometimes certain forms are hard to repeat under high stress situations. So, um, and there is a, a guideline, obviously you want to follow when it comes to good form. Um, so, but I would say good form, consistent form, um, comfortable form is, is as, oh yeah, it's as important or more important than a good tuned bow, but that's also really important too. They, they really go hand in hand.
0: Okay. So I want to talk about that form. You know, I, okay. I feel for me personally, I have bad form. Um, and it's very inconsistent and I think a lot of it has to do because, I don't practice as much as I should now break down what you know from the you know from the second that you start your your draw you know to the second you release the arrow what does perfect form or good form look like
1: yeah well you know that's oh boy that's um well the the first thing you do when you shoot your bow is you know you're going to you're gonna draw well, let's just go step by step, I guess. You're gonna grab your bow. You're gonna grab your bow to shoot it. And the first thing you do you wanna do when you grab your bow is grab it way too deep. So, you know, a lot of a lot of good shooters and stuff shoot like basically from the middle of their hand to the to the outside of their their thumb. So basically you're just using the a really small part of your hand, mostly your thumb, to hold the bow. You don't want to get it real deep into the um, middle of your palm and stuff like that, because that, that's going to create torque on your bow. And that's kind of hard to repeat, but there's, you know, so basically you don't want to get into the bow real hard with your hand. You want to shoot with a relaxed hand. You don't want to hold the bow. You want to just have your hand relaxed. Let the, let the swing on your bow do its job. It's not going to fall out of your hand if you have, if you have a wrist sling. you know what I mean? So, you know, you grab your bow, um, and then you're going to draw it. And obviously when you anchor and stuff, you know, draw length is so important. I would say, you know, too short of a draw length is is kind of is really bad. It makes things really uncomfortable. And too long of a draw length is pretty bad too. That's going to make things really uncomfortable and and hard to aim and things like that. So the draw length is also really important. Um, And, you know, a good way to measure your draw length is just, put your fist up against the wall measure from the wall to the corner of your mouth, you know, with your head straight up and down. Um, so you want to make sure you have proper draw length. Um, and this is a problem that a lot of guys don't run into, but, uh, some women, they're, they're a lot more flexible than us. They'll, uh, I, I think a little bit of a bend in your shooting arm is a good idea. Um, like some women they'll, they'll over, basically, like, overextend their arm where it's bent the other way. Uh, that's kind of, that's a really bad habit to get into, and it's it's kind of, it's really hard on your arm, too. Um, but as far as, like, what perfect form and stuff looks like, I mean, per- good form looks like, it looks different on a lot of different people, you know what I mean? But uh, I think the biggest thing about, like, shooting and stuff is uh, not having target panic. And target panic is, I think the hardest thing to overcome and kind of what separates a lot of good shooters from mediocre shooters to bad shooters is target panic. And so we're doing, that's when you're aiming and you anticipate the shot or you're punching the trigger or you can't aim in the middle because you shake too hard, things like that. So not uh, working on your target. I work on target panic literally every time I practice because target panic is in everybody. It it's, so working on target panic is my, one of my biggest things. Like you say, form and stuff, and I and I guess that's not form, but it's like one of the biggest things I work on. But um, so,
0: what is I'm, the definition of target panic? I mean, we uh, well, we hear that we hear that term all the time, but I don't know if anybody's ever really defined it.
1: Yeah. So target panic, like my target panic is, I cannot when it's bad. And like when I was younger, was I cannot aim in the middle. So basically your pin or scope or whatever will aim low or high and your brain literally stops you from aiming in the middle because you want, you want to like punch it and you get real panicky and you want to anticipate the shot and things like that. So that's like one form of target panic. Uh, Another form is uh, getting aiming in the middle and not, and your brain not letting you shoot the shot, basically like you freezing up in the middle and not uh, shooting, and then that leads to like punching the trigger um, and things like that, not squeezing the trigger or using back tension. So target and like t- so target panic is, yeah, that eats a lot of people, eats a lot of people up. But uh, so
0: with target panic, right? let's say you're not nervous. Like when I go in my backyard, I don't get nervous. Right. So, you know, it's not like uh, there's a big buck in front of me. So I associate target panic and buck fever kind of being the same thing. Um, is that,
1: yeah, that's a okay. really good comparison. Okay. Target, so like as with buck fever, target panic's like at a at hundred out of a hundred. Okay. Um, but the target panic that really hurts people is the one they have in practice where it's really small. Maybe, you know, like, 10 out of 100, like it's not, yeah. it's there, but it's not like obviously like buck fever where you can hardly put a pin on the animal before you're punching the trigger, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but yeah, so basically, yeah, target panics, buck fever, just uh, scaled down quite a bit on and it's just on every single shot.
0: Okay. So, and you mentioned punching the trigger being one of the symptoms of target panic, but how do you know if you are... I mean, how do you know if you have target panic? Are there any telltale signs? I mean, how do you know you're, you know, you're, you're punching the trigger? How do you know, yeah. you know your form is bad? I mean, how, how can you identify these problems to beat target panic?
1: Well, one of the easiest things to do, a great like uh, a training tool, is uh, your phone on a tripod, just video videoing you shooting a lot of time people watch a video of themselves shooting and it really opened up their eyes. Like, wow, I, I do that, you know, type of thing. Right. Um, so video yourself shooting, have your buddy or somebody at the range just shoot a quick video of you shooting three or four arrows and watch your hand and stuff like that. But if you, without that, just looking at like, if you want to figure out if you have target panic or not, it's a uh, lot, like a big thing with bow hunting, uh, guys who do a lot of bow hunting, but don't practice a lot is, is basically doing what like we call like drive-by shooting, coming down and like punching the trigger as your pin passes the target. That's just that's really common. Um, and if you're doing that, you you have target panic, um, getting in the middle and like and and flinching and things like that before the bow goes off. Uh, that's that's kind of target panic, anticipating the shot. You know, like when you shoot a, high, um, if, let's say you take a Glock and you and you shoot as fast as you can. Almost every single person, they're shooting, 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 and then when the clip's out and it clicks, they they you know they, they flinch because they were anticipating the gun kicking and things like that. Um, that 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 happens in archery. Sometimes you're gotcha. you're anticipating the shot and you're flinching even when you don't even realize it. But I'd say the easiest thing is just have somebody uh, videotape you shooting, and uh, kind of see if you're punching the trigger or, um, and just watch your aiming. You know, if you're if you're doing drive-by shooting, you got target panic too. As far as to fix it, fixing it's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to fix target panic, but they they're actually selling releases these days that uh, are like you can't punch them. So right. you you give somebody a release uh, that you can't punch, they'll they'll flinch like crazy in the beginning trying to punch it, but as soon as they realize they have to squeeze that trigger that kind of forces you to aim in the middle and squeeze the trigger and it kind of, then the shot surprises you and that's what we want our surprise shot. Okay. The shot surprises you. Um, and so there's some, there's some really nice releases out that you can actually buy and that'll help your target panic a lot. But also uh, another thing for target panic is, um, like I do this still is drawing your bow and just aiming in the middle and letting down, not even shooting the arrow. Um, So, like, I'll shoot sometimes 10 arrows, but draw my bow uh, 30 times. You know, draw it, aim in the middle, get really comfortable with aiming in the middle, and then let it down, draw it again. Aim it, let it down, and then draw it again, and then shoot it. Um, And that helps a lot. And that's really boring. I don't expect a lot of people, like, I wouldn't expect a lot of people would want to do that, But, like, if you want to get serious about fixing your target panic, like, all the way, I mean, that that is something you can do.
0: Right. That's kind of funny you mention that because I did a podcast a while back with Travis Turner, you know, T-Bone from the Bone Collectors, whatever. And he, he recommended that a guy go into his basement and before he even shoots any arrows, draw back his bow. Get it centered, to get it positioned, and then let down. And he's like, I, th- I think he said something like a week. Do that for a week before you even shoot any arrows, and that will help. That will help you. Um, I don't
1: know. Yeah. You know, yeah, like muscle memory, younger, everything. When, yeah, when I when I was younger, like, and like let's say in the evening and stuff, and I couldn't go to the practice range, I'd have my bow at my house, and I'd I'd have it in the basement, and I'd do that exact thing: draw it let it down but i'd be aiming you know aim at a small target stuff like that so you just get really comfortable aiming (laughs) another thing you can do is um is if you want to get comfortable shooting too you can draw with your eyes closed and shoot with your eyes closed shoot at a really close bail shoot with your eyes closed concentrate on your hand uh concentrate on how the bow feels in your hand um things like that so really working on your form if you have good form and and consistent form (laughs) you'll uh it'll show downrange when you start shooting targets.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Now, you know, going th- that progression to, you know, become, because the whole goal of this is all to become as accurate as possible on a, on a consistent basis, right? Yeah. Yeah. The okay. whole
1: goal is to perfect it, which right. we'll never perfect it, but it's get as close as you can.
0: <laughs> right. So let's, you know, for gear, right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it, you know, you you kind of mentioned the release. Is the is the release and and maybe an archer having the wrong release um, one of the biggest contributors to target panic?
1: Um, no, I wouldn't say there's any wrong releases. Every release has their purpose, um, like a, a hunting style like caliber release. You know, you just shoot it with your index finger. Um, Those aren't wrong releases, those are great releases. I I hunt with one, Um, they're nice releases, but it's it's nice to have that release for hunting and then like maybe another release, like the anti-punch releases and things like that to train with. Um, And not even train with every day, but just maybe break it out two times a week and so you're not, you know, so you can really train yourself not to punch the release. Or let's say you, you feel like you're getting real punchy just uh, break out that that other release, and there's several companies that sell them. I know True Fire just came out with um, a new one. <laughs> I shoot a uh, I, I shoot a I train with a hydraulic release. Um, it's basically a release that you draw back and you aim in the middle, and is and you let off a basic a button. And when uh, you let off the button, the bow fires in about three seconds. So all you have to do is concentrate on aiming.
0: Holy cow. So that, I can see that application working in the, you know, in on, on the range. But what about, does that, I mean, if you let off and then put your finger back on the button, will it go off or will it still go off?
1: Uh, No, you can, if you put your finger right back on it, right. It won't, uh, it won't go off obviously
0: you'd never, you'd never hunt with that release. Okay. But it's
1: just, just for training. Yeah.
0: I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, so is there then a release that, you know, let, let's say, well, as a bow hunter, I want to be the best possible shot that I can, I can be, um, you know, and, and you mentioned that, you know, a wrist release, uh, using your index finger and all that stuff is, is still a good hunting uh release but you know from a from an overall archery standpoint you know i want to be as consistent and as accurate as possible is there a, uh, a release that performs better overall than you know other releases
1: um no i w- you know there's a lot of good releases uh, releases out there like uh Carter, I mean, I would say the, the best index uh, finger, you know, like the uh, hunting style release uh, Carter makes, it's called the Like Mike, um, and what, you know, like a lot of the cheaper releases, some of the, some of the Scots and some of the cheaper ones, they have, <clears throat> they have a lot of travel in the trigger. Um, the the Like Mike, you can, you can work on, like you can adjust all the travel out of the trigger, Okay. So basically, you get a really crisp uh, release and <clears throat> nobody, you know, like, I know that one and maybe Truefire is coming out with a new one that you can do that, but most of the Scots and stuff, you can't adjust that out of the release. And that's kind of important. Nobody likes to feel a bunch of travel while you're squeezing on a release, you know what I mean?
0: Right, right. So, you know, aside from gear... You know when your bow is not perfectly tuned. um, You know other than other than your release, what are some big mistakes that people make that uh, you know when when this piece of equipment is off or not tuned properly, that's going to cause inconsistent accuracy.
1: Um. Well, you know, like your dropway rests um, are really nice and just a good rest setup like a lot of fletching contact on on your arrow is you yeah, know that'll affect your accuracy a lot yeah um, like whisker biscuits you know I'm not I'm not saying they're bad like they're I'm not saying they don't serve their purpose but it's hard to get tight groups with a whisker biscuit type of rest you know okay um so like you know uh, just a good a good rest you know make sure your arrows you know, shoot your arrow through paper, you know, and don't ever shoot your arrow through paper at one distance because you can basically fool yourself by thinking your arrow's flying good if you just keep shooting it at one distance. But <clears throat> but really, you should shoot your bow through paper at like three different distances. And if you're getting a bullet hole at three different distances, obviously your arrow's flying straight. And But I would just say, you know, shoot through, shoot your bow through paper. Make sure it's shooting good that way. Uh, and I don't know, you know, as far as when it comes to, uh, tuning in fixed blade broadheads and stuff, that's a, I could talk about that for, for an hour, you know, things, things a guy wants to do there too. So,
0: right. I recently just asked a question on the, uh, let me pull it up here, but the, the nine finger Chronicles Facebook page about what affects accuracy more, um, uh, Uh, the rest or the um, let me pull it up real quick and I'll actually read it to you. Uh, I actually saw that and I, I
1: I, I don't quite remember but yeah, you you have to, what do you think? Yeah.
0: What do you think plays the bigger role in accuracy, your sight or your rest?
1: Um, well, as far as like, they, they obviously go hand in hand, but you're, If anything, let's say they're both performing at their best, like they're not old, they're not junky. Like let's say you pull a rest out of the package and you pull a sight out of the package, um, and they're all and they're performing the way they should be. They're not loose, or they don't have, you know, they're not they're not vibrating loose or nothing like that. I would say your rest is, you know, your sight. Once your sight's bolted on your bow, it's it's just. Sitting there, it's not going to affect anything as long as you're sighted in. It's not your site's not going to. You can buy a five dollar sight or a, a three hundred dollar sight, and it's going to work the same way. Obviously, the the three hundred dollar sight's going to have a lot of sweet features to it, but what it all boils down to putting the pin in the middle or on the animal and shooting. And your sight's going to perform a nice sight even over an old sight that still performs well and stuff. It's going to is that'll never affect your accuracy as far as I'm concerned. Your rest, though, if you're getting really bad fletching contact or if it's not if it's not level, you know, if it's not level properly, if it's got a bad angle, if it's not dropping soon enough, I mean, that's huge. So I would – all the sights these days, they're nice. I mean, you're going to – Spot Hog, and they make some really high-end sights and some low-end sights. And you could put their cheaper sights on a competition bow, and that bow, is, you're going to still be able to shoot it just as well. Right. But it, it but obviously it's harder to sight in, you have got a lot more course adjustments and Allen Ridge screws instead of clicking or clicks in the sight, things like that. But once you gotta sight it in, it's gonna shoot just as good. Now a rest on the other hand, you take the same rest and you start uh um, moving you you take a drop away and you drop it um too late and your arrow starts slapping into it, now, that's gonna affect your accuracy big time. So I would say the 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 rest affects your accuracy more than anything. Okay so especially especially over a sight gotcha
0: gotcha so then what are some of the biggest mistakes as far as gear is concerned that guys make when i get you know tuning and sighting in their bow uh
2: well
1: sighting in your bow i mean the biggest mistake you can make sighting in your bow is um you know, obviously, you got to know your distances, like your 20-yard. You, if you're going to set your 20-yard pin, it better and it better match your rangefinder. So when you go sight, sight in your bow, I don't even care if you're out of range. Some rangefinders read a little different than others. Bring your hunting rangefinder and sight in for what your hunting rangefinder says. So if your rangefinder says 20 yards, but at the range, that's three or four feet closer to the target or farther. Let's say it's just a little off, but you're still going to hunt with it. Sight in with your rangefinder. Don't sight in with the range mark, uh, with the stake at the range. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. So, yeah. sight in every distance with your with the rangefinder you're going to hunt with, um, and things like that. But as far as, and then the mistakes you can make <clears throat> tuning tuning your bow are, are kind of endless. But like a, a real common mistake is shooting it through paper at one distance or too close to the paper. It kind of fools you. Um, a lot of bows will shoot good bullet holes really close to paper. Um, you know, step back, take, shoot your arrow a couple different distances and don't be afraid to take your bow to like a pro shop and have them walk you through tuning your bow, you know? Um, you know, don't, I, I always think the guys at pro shops, they know so much. Um, and you can learn a lot from those guys if you want to tune your bow for the next year or something you know really go to a pro shop and, and talk to them and let them talk walk you through tuning your bow and then you'll get you know then you can learn from those guys but as far as you know i you know there's there's so many different ways to tune your bow i'd say another problem is over overthinking it too yeah. you know um there's so many different ways that sometimes you just kind of sight in your bow and go shoot it go practice
2: Right. I, I would
1: I would say it's a big thing, and just kind of overthinking it is a, is a is a big problem.
0: So you mean you know trying to tweak it so much to the point where it's never the it's never the same every time you shoot it.
1: Yeah, well, mostly I mean by basically if you're shooting bad and you feel your bow's not tuned and blame your bad shooting on tuning, I would say like that that's the problem, you know. Um, as far as sometimes your your bow is a machine and whether it's tuned or not, it's actually still gonna shoot the same. Yeah. um a well tuned bow just is easier to shoot. And obviously, if you're close, don't worry about getting your bow perfect. I would worry about going and shooting and practicing more than more than tuning your bow perfectly. you know what I mean? So if your bow is shooting good through paper, call it good. if it if it shoots a good bear shaft, shoot bear shaft, tune, and it shoots a good bear shaft. Don't worry about what it shoots through paper. Um, if you're getting really tight groups, here's another thing, too. If you're shooting great and you're getting really tight groups out to 50, 60 yards, don't go worried about tuning your bow. I know guys that have bought new bows. They just kind of go out and shoot it. They shoot really great, and they love it. And then they're like, oh, okay, it's time to tune it. But if your bow is shooting really good and you like the way it's shooting, don't don't worry. Don't change anything. Don't worry about tuning it. So sometimes not shooting your bow through paper and worrying about the tune is also pretty important if, if you like the way it's shooting.
0: Okay, I'm, I, call me an idiot, but what is bare shaft tuning?
1: Oh, it's, uh, it's shooting an arrow without any fletchings on it. Okay, seeing where it, seeing where it hits. Um, so,
0: what's the benefit of that?
1: Um, basically, you want your fletched arrows to um, I get, you want your fletched arrows to fly. Like you want your bear shaft. The only reason you want it to fly with your fletched arrows is because that means your arrows are basically taking like the path of least resistance. You know what I mean? Um, your fletchings don't. So basically if you, if you can get your fletched arrows to shoot with your bear shaft, that means that's the, that's the way the arrow wants to naturally fly without stabilizing. Okay. So, and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty hard to do. Um, but you have to have a properly spined arrow. Um, and, like, I'm left-handed. So, like, just uh, two days ago, I was, I was bare shaft tuning my bow. And you do it at 20 yards. Um, I do it at 20 and 30 yards, but a lot of people just do it at 20 yards. Um, so, basically, I, I shoot an arrow, and it, let's say it hits the middle, and I'd take a bare shaft, and it was shooting away to the right. These were new, brand-new arrows I like got. Okay. So, I would I would – my bear shaft shooting to the right tells me that arrow is too weak so I, I cut it down shorter until that bear shaft was slowly brought into my other into my fletched arrow um, and actually I got to the point where I couldn't cut off anymore my arrow. I didn't want the arrow to get any shorter so okay. I took I changed the, I changed the point weight I went from 140 grain point to 120 and actually I ended up with a hundred hundred grain point. Okay. Um, so and I so basically and that was with my with my rest perfectly center shot and my D loop perfectly level with the rest. So every okay. I, everything was set up that way, and then I started bear shaft tuning from there. Um, and that, I got really lucky yesterday. Sometimes you flat can't do it. Sometimes sometimes your bears. Sometimes some bows don't want to. Uh, Bear shaft tune at all, um, but the gearhead bow I shoot has an adjustable grip. You can adjust it from the left to right, and that uh, takes out a lot of the takes out a lot of torque out of the bow. So they're really really easy to tune, and I've had um, I've been able to bear shaft every every one I bear shaft tune every bow I've had, and uh, every arrow I've put through the bow. So it is I am at an advantage with the adjustable grip because that's the only bow out there that'll do
0: that. So. so is bear shaft tuning something that, you know, if there is a guy who, you know, consistent, you know, he wants to become a better archer, would, would something like bear shaft tuning your your setup, would you recommend that?
1: Um. Yeah, yes and no. Um, I, I never used to do that. I, I used to always be under the mindset of just set your bow up, get it flying pretty good through paper and just shoot it. Don't worry about anything. Cause there's, there's guys out there that take a million steps to, to make sure their bows tuned perfectly and still can't shoot, you know? So I'm always under the mindset of just set your bow up and go practice, go shoot it, get good form, things like that. And, and it'll still shoot good. As far as the only reason I'm bear shaft tuning is cause I know how, and it, uh, and I've, and I'm shooting outside, I'm shooting out to a hundred yards. So your bow does need to be tuned pretty good for that type of stuff. But um if somebody was to become a better shot, I would say there's a, a hundred other things you could do besides their shaft tune, you know what I mean? Right.
0: Okay. So
1: I want you to give
0: your best piece of advice right now of you know, and you, you may have already mentioned it, but if it's a dead horse, we'll beat it. Um, what is the most important thing, in your opinion, that someone can do to become a better overall archer?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um, One of the best things you can do is, you know, for bow hunters, for people who want to shoot for a living, for people who shoot leagues, I mean, kind of... I would say, you know, practice. And I know that's pretty easy to say. Like, I mean, that's what everybody says and stuff. But I don't mean it by just go out and shoot your bow. I just mean good quality practice. Don't be afraid to ask, like, the guys who in every range, at every town, there's guys that have been doing it a long time, don't be afraid to ask those guys what they're doing. Ask for their help. Um, ask for their tuning advice too. They might have different advice than me too about tuning. Um, you know, ask a lot of questions, but, uh, you know, get out there and practice good quality practice too. You don't have to shoot 300 arrows a day. If you can only shoot on your lunch break and shoot 30 arrows and you do that with a good attitude and, and, and you're hundred percent committed to those arrows, that's good quality practice you go to a range and you're extracted and you're checking your phone this and that and you're trying to shoot 150 arrows as fast as you can that 30 arrow practice session is way better than that 150 arrow practice session you know what i mean right for sure um so and then also um just uh you know enjoy it too if you if you like shooting keep shooting if you like shooting competitively do that if um you know just enjoy all parts of the archery it's, Try it all, you know. Try field archery, try indoor archery, try hunting, you know. Try all that stuff. It's all fun, and I know a lot of people will try different things and they'll find the one they really like. And you, once you find the one you really like, you know, go for it. Go if you really like 3D archery, and hate and hate feed archery. Shoot 3D archery. Don't shoot the feed archery. You don't have to shoot it all, you know. But try it all. Find the one you really like, and and practice that one you really like.
0: So would you recommend, you know, if there is the availability for someone to maybe join a league or, you know, some kind of organization or group where, you know, that gets together on a regular basis, would you recommend something like that for, you know, your average Joe?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I have this thing, you know, me and my brother, we give people a hard time for closet shooting. They shoot, shoot, shoot with nobody around, maybe in a garage or Uh, They maybe own some land and they shoot outside on their land or something. They just closet shoot and then they get around a bunch of people or whatever and they can't shoot very well because they're not used to it. But yeah, you get to the go to leagues and stuff like that and that's to me that's some of the best practice out there is leagues Um, because there's a little bit of added pressure. It you know everybody scores their your arrows and stuff so there's you're always scoring. Um, It's ran just like a tournament tournament is. So I would say leagues, yeah if you have if there's a league or a club or something sign up for it because that's that's the that's the cheapest and the best archery lessons you'll ever get cuz at all those leagues and stuff there's always good guys there that will that are willing to give up a lot of information about shooting and uh, practice and tuning and even hunting and things like that too Gotcha so. Now do, you
0: know, kind of going back to your training regimen. Um, and you've, again, you've mentioned some of these things already, but is there, is there one thing that you do that might be, you know, that you might suggest to me? So, okay, well, here's something I do that's helped me, uh, give it a try and let me know what you think. That kind of, that kind of thing. Um, let's see
1: here. I'm trying to think, you know, um, Yeah, like I, I do you. Are you mostly shooting a bow hunting setup, or do you have a target setup also?
0: No, I shoot one hundred percent. I have one bow, one setup, and I, I. The only reason I shoot a bow is so I can be deadly with it in the timber.
1: Yeah, right. Which is, which is good. We all want to be accurate when we're out hunting, Um, just as accurate as anything, actually.
2: So yeah, but yeah,
1: as far as uh, shooting your your hunting bow and do something, you know. I would say you know, the biggest thing is if you don't have one, get an anti-punching release—a release you can't punch. Now, I'm not saying you got to hunt with it or nothing, but train with it once or twice a week, and it'll 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 show you that maybe you do have a little target panic, or maybe it's worse than you thought, and it'll fix it really fast. Gotcha. So I'd say that's like a huge target panic is it it really hurts a lot of people's accuracy, and if you can fix it would be surprised how well you can really shoot um and then um as far as you know always practice your different distances outside and whatnot but uh i would say yeah like that that release and i i always i'm sure you do too but i always practice too like i always make sure the clothes i wear hunting and stuff are are going to work so i practice with them on sometimes right before the season or whatever too so
0: yeah. But, that's one thing I don't, you know, everybody's like, Hey man, you know, you know, practice like you're going to hunt. Well, I don't practice 20 foot up in the tree. Cause uh, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't, um, which, you know, might be something I need to do. And I don't put on all this heavy clothes throughout the, out the summer to, you know, simulate a, a hunting environment. Um, right.
1: Is that and I some... guess the biggest thing is if, if you buy new rain gear, that's yeah, like one thing. Rain gear is really bulky and baggy sometimes. If you buy new rain gear, just go shoot a few arrows. Make sure it's not going to like – make sure you can actually do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Uh, just like, I'm not saying get dressed up in your full hunting outfit every time you go bow hunting stuff or go practicing. But, but, yeah, just make sure like when you buy new gear, just make sure it's going to work at full draw. One time I bought a backpack and I went to – I never tested it. and Anyways, I went to go draw on an elk in it. Basically, it kept me from shooting, and it was kind of a nightmare. And if I just would have practiced with it on, I would have known. So, just things like that. And one of the
0: last questions I have here for you is, kind of going back to gear, I'm bouncing around all over here, but um, arrows, right? Yeah. And arrow spine, um, to be more specific. But how, you know, having the right arrow... (laughs) You know, how important is that for accuracy?
1: Yeah, that's, that's really important. That, uh, really important. A properly spined arrow is, is really important and it's kind of pretty easy to figure out. It's, you know, if you're shooting 70 pounds, um, and let's say you're 28 draw length, 28 and under 28, let's just say 28 to 26. And you're shooting seventy pounds, you should probably be shooting a three a three fifty spined arrow. If you're over twenty eight inches, you should probably be shooting a three hundred spined arrow. And if you're if you're under like twenty six, you should probably be shooting a four hundred spine arrow. So it's actually pretty easy. There's only about three different, you know, big jumps you can make for spine. But if you're shooting eighty pounds and twenty nine inches of draw, you don't you don't want to be shooting a four hundred spine arrow. They're not going to spine right. That they're not going to tune right. They're not going to be as forgiving as that like a 300 spine arrow would, wood because it'll be spined correctly for that bow so yeah spine's really important but as far as like uh arrow like let's say you're shooting an eastern Access um or Eastern like the the fmj or something um like a carbon over an aluminum carbon or an all aluminum yeah i would say as long as they're as long as they're spined right i mean all those arrows are going to work great i i like the fmjs because they're heavier and I'm kind of more of a heavier arrow guy because I'm shooting elk. And I like the kind of the kinetic energy they keep at the longer range. Um, I know a lot of guys like shooting turkeys and whitetails. They're so fast on their feet and stuff that you want to shoot maybe a little bit lighter of an arrow because you want that extra speed for when they're jumping the string and whatnot. Um, so you do got to look at the game you're hunting too, you know, like yeah. um, things like that. So, But, yeah, as long as your arrows fine, right, and, and you're shooting – uh, the right arrow for the, the right situation. And there's a lot of arrows that will shoot elk, deer, antelope, all that the same. So right. like I hunt the same, arrow, I hunt the same arrow if I'm shooting antelope or elk. So,
0: okay. So then um, can you, if you're underspined, obviously there's too much power and it flexes the arrow, but is, is overspining your arrow and shooting an arrow that's way too heavy? Is that a problem?
1: That's less of a, I would say that's less of a problem Okay. than a unders- uh, way too light of an arrow. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, that, is, that is a problem though. I mean, obviously you don't want like a kid or a, a girl shooting 40 pounds or something, shooting a really heavy arrow, like a 300 access or a big game hunting arrow or something like that. Cause it's going to be so slow. It's, it's not going to be like really effective. The deer will be able to jump the string, things like that. But okay. as far as like, uh. You know, as long as you're not way over, you know. Let's say you're, let's say you're shooting seventy pounds and you're twenty eight inch draw, and instead of shooting a three fifty, you're shooting a three hundred. That's not that big of a deal. Three hundred spined arrow.
2: Gotcha. I would
1: rather go. I would rather go stiffer than weaker. Right. I know a guy actually. One of my buddies. His he was shooting a PSC and for some reason. A PSC X force for some reason. His his arrow tuned really well with a five hundred spine arrow. And that's literally, it was a five it was a five hundred spine FMJ. And, and that's like a kid's arrow almost. Yeah. Like that that's for like a forty pound bow if that's not real radical. He was shooting a PSE X Force at seventy pounds. I mean that bow should have he should have been shooting a three fifty or a or a three hundred, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not a not a four hundred, not a four fifty, but he was shooting a five hundred. He actually shot this elk um, and he shot it broadside, perfectly broadside. And anyways, I wouldn't have believed him unless I, in, unless I actually knew him and trusted him or whatever. Cause it, it was so crazy. He shot it broadside, shot it right behind the shoulder. And that arrow ended up like way out, ended up exiting in the guts basically. Yeah. Cause it was so, it was so flimsy that it basically was bending inside the elk and it, took a turn, you know? Yeah. Um, that was such a weak arrow. Like that was literally like a kid's arrow. Um, so obviously he quit hunting with those arrows, but yeah, I mean, that's what happened. I mean, and he, and he, he found the elk and stuff and it didn't spoil or nothing, but it wasn't easy. I mean, it was a marginal shot and he got lucky that he found it. But yeah, I mean, his, his way too weak arrow basically was so weak. It was bending inside the animal, trying to take the path, the least resistant. And that was, you know, that's, a stiff arrow is going to kind of keep its path a lot better than a a really weak arrow that'll bend around. You know what I mean, right? Um, so
0: you know, moving on down to the fletchings, uh, I've I've heard a lot of guys talk about a four fletched arrow. Um, what does what is the difference between a four three fletched arrow and a four fletched arrow? And I mean, does it does it offer the archer any benefit?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I shoot four fletches for hunting. Um, and and basically what it does is you got another fletch on there. It's, you got it on the, let's say you glued them on helical or at a, at an angle. Um, it's just creating more drag, which is going to spin the arrow faster, which is going to stabilize the arrow quicker. Uh, and that kind of will equal better groups. Your arrow stabilizing faster might equal better groups. I'm not okay. saying it will. A lot of the times it's kind of a peace of mind thing, knowing that your arrow is going to stabilize really fast. And the biggest thing is, as I would never shoot four-fletch if I wasn't shooting a broadhead. But yeah. to stabilize a broadhead, it's nice to have that extra fletch on there just to get that arrow spinning a little bit faster and quicker. So um, fixed blade, you know, if you're trying to shoot fixed blade broadheads, if you're trying to shoot expandables, uh, three uh, three-fletches three will work all day long. So, okay. And I, I kind of a broadhead like I always try different broadheads and there's uh, so many arguments for fixed blade versus expandable. So I don't know what you shoot, but I have my I have opinions on expandables after last year. But I used to like think oh all the, they're all great, but I I won't be hunting with expandables anymore. Let's put it
0: that way. Right. I uh some of the state well. The reason I kind of went back to a fixed blade broadhead after years of mechanicals is because um, I started hunting out west, and when when I went out to Idaho, fixed blade, um, you know, fixed blades were mandatory. You couldn't hunt with a. You couldn't hunt with a, uh, a mechanical. So I kind of just transitioned to fixed blades because I didn't want to have to re-sight in everything every time I, you know, jumped to a step yeah. that maybe didn't allow it.
1: Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that about Idaho. That was probably Yeah. No, that's crazy. I In Montana here, we can shoot both of them. I think we have a, a weight limit of the broadhead. It has to be heavier than 75 grains. Okay. Um. Yeah, yeah I, I shot a, I shot an elk last year with a with an expandable. I don't really want to name drop the expandable because I still think they're great broadheads, right? But anyway, this is a certain expandable I shot and it and it, I had like I don't know one of the worst blood trails I've had, and I got a pass through even, and it was a double lung shot on the on this bull, so it shot really you know it was a good shot, but the elk just went really far. The one thing that really disturbed me is he went straight uphill for a while. Yeah. And you know, usually an elk, elk or deer or anything shot through the lungs, both lungs. The last thing they want to do is go uphill, right? Because they can't they can't take a breath. But I think this elk was able to because his the the hole wasn't that great through his lungs. Okay. But anyways, I found him and whatever, and and I'm not, and you shoot an elk or a deer or whatever. Every time a broadheads going to perform differently um and I used to shoot like expandables and all that stuff, but uh this year I'll probably shoot fixed blades so. right
0: what does what does weighting your arrow like putting in a weighted insert do other than just give the arrow you know more you know more weight for kinetic energy
1: yeah, I would say that's that's about it kinetic energy um. Okay. You know, or tuning purposes. Let's say, let's say you, you feel like your arrow's too stiff, <clears throat> and you're having a problem getting fixed blade broad edge to tune right. Yeah, you might throw in fifty grains up front or something, and it might might tighten up your your groups a little bit. Just because your arrow might be, you know, that'll make your arrow weaker. Yeah. So, um, so it's like that. But I I, would, I I like heavy heavy arrow for kinetic energy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I decided to take that jump when I hit a giant buck years ago in the, well, what I felt was just below the spine. I think I actually hit it in the spine and it was with a mechanical and I don't think I got the penetration I needed uh, for it. So that's one of another reason why I, I kind of like a real heavy Arrow to just pack a, as big of a punch to allow the broadhead to do its job as humanly possible. So uh, another right, reason yeah, I kind of go to fixed heads as well.
1: Yeah, you just need that weight to to carry on at longer distance too. You know, forty right. fifty yards, you need that that heavy arrow to keep keep that kinetic energy. You know, really fast. It's funny we had this argument last. I had this argument last night with my brother-in-law, and we had. An hour long argument about kinetic energy, and it was actually about bullets, but bullets yeah. and arrows kind of go hand in hand. About he yeah. he thinks speed is everything, and these light bullets are the way to go for kinetic energy. And I was on the other end, like, no, your your heavier bullets uh, that might you're, yeah, you're going to sacrifice speed, but you're still better off mainly because at distance they they keep their kinetic energy. Anyways, it's just funny, that we're talking about it now because I had this. <laughs> This argument, and I don't think any of us want the argument. He's probably still going to be doing what he does. But anyways, yeah, I, I like uh, a lot of kinetic energy. I shot an elk once in the, in the chest, and it came out. It went the whole length of its body, and I got a pass through. And uh, that was with a fixed blade. And I don't think you'd ever do that with an expandable, to tell you the truth. Yeah. So
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Well, I tell you what, man, uh, I could sit here and BS with you for another three hours about, you know, gear and archery setups and stuff like that. But, uh, I just want to say thanks for taking time out of your day to, uh, come on the podcast and, uh, you know, chit chat with us for a second and, and good luck the rest of the season, man.
1: Yeah, Dan, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, there's hunting seasons coming up fast, um, actually here in Montana, We're waiting on deer and elk drawings probably today or tomorrow. As soon as I get off the phone, I'm going to check if they're out. But, yeah, we'll have to do it again after hunting season and see how each other's hunting seasons went and whatnot.
0: And there you have it, another podcast in the books. Huge shout-out to Aaron for coming on the show. Thank you very much for that chat. Hopefully you, the listener, uh, got a lot out of it. Uh, I know I did. So uh, thank you, Mr. Tedford, for that. Thanks to each and every one of you for uh, taking time out of your day to download this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. A uh, huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Wasp Archery, Ripcord Archery, Deer Lab, Ozonics, and Gearhead. So uh, be sure to go check out those brands. Uh, I'm a huge fan of them. That's why they're partners of this podcast. So go check those out. Other than that, check me out on Facebook. Check me out on Instagram. Check me out on Twitter. and Go to iTunes. Please leave a review. That would help me out. And, uh, you know, I typically close with where your damn tree stand, blah, blah, blah. But today's message is just a little bit different. You know, life is way too short to be in a bad mood. And happiness is it I don't know, feeling happy is one of those things that is it just it's a really good feeling, happiness is. And if you're ever in a negative situation or have negative feelings or negative vibes or, or just living a negative lifestyle, you can easily remove yourself. I shouldn't say easily, but if you remove yourself from that negativity, um, happiness is just around the corner. I don't know where this is coming from, but life is short. Be happy, you know? So uh, take advantage of all the happiness that you possibly can, whether that's through the outdoors, whether that's through friends and family. Uh, just surround yourself with positive energy and uh, you'll live a happier life. And I think we all know that it's not about money or it's not a popularity contest. It's about family and happiness. And I'm just starting to ramble now. So that's my sign. Thank you again for tuning in. And remember, be happy.